Hi there, and welcome to another Rossler podcast from the 24th annual ANZIC CTG meeting in Noosa. My name's Todd Fraser. Traumatic brain injury is a major cause of morbidity and mortality in young people around the world. Despite this, there remains much to learn about the best management of this important problem. Toby Jeffcoat is an intensivist and researcher from Melbourne's Alfred Hospital, and he joins me to talk about how precision TBI and big data in general can help to fill the gaps in our knowledge. Toby, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for inviting me. Toby, um, what are some of the challenges facing research in uh, moderate to severe traumatic brain injury? Well, the first thing to say... Uh, about traumatic brain injury and, and moderate to severe traumatic brain injury is that it's a it's a really big problem, um, uh, both for um, the patients themselves who often suffer very poor outcomes, um, but also patients are often young um, and are severely disabled after their brain injury. So um, they, this has significant implications um, for these patients uh, uh, throughout the course of their lives, um, and for society as as a whole, because um, this is a, a, a represents a significant economic burden and, and cost as well, um, and uh, so it's a, so it's an important problem that um, I think it's fair to say we haven't really got a hold of um, at the moment, um, and uh, the, in terms of the the issues surrounding. Um, research into uh, moderate to severe TBI, there, there are a number of problems. Um, probably foremost among those is the um, conception that TBI is a single entity, um, whereas um, there are various different types of injury that can occur in different, type, in, in different parts of the brain, um, that each of which will have very different implications for the patient, um, both in the acute pathophysiology and, and um, long-term outcome. And we tend to just group all of the um, uh, these injuries <clears throat> together under the one heading traumatic brain injury, where it may be better described as a kind of as, as a syndrome or a collection of injuries with a with a common cause. Um, and secondly, um, Research into uh, traumatic brain injury and the management of traumatic brain injury has a number of um, issues associated with it, which we'll probably talk about a, a bit later. Um, uh, and thirdly, the um, it's very difficult to to find out what's going on in in the brain in the in the course of the injury when you're managing these patients in the ICU. Um, the um, we have very little information about what's happening. So if you think about managing cardiac disease, um, we have multiple avenues in which to investigate what's happening with the heart. We can do an ECG, we can do an echocardiogram, um, we can do troponins. We have, we have multiple viewpoints to look at the, 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 that um, essential organ. But because the brain is encased in the skull, we have um, a very limited... Um, view of what's happening inside the inside the skull. So we can take CT scans and get static pictures, um, and we can do with difficulty. We can do MRI scans. Um, again, this gives us a static picture, um, and um, we can also put 
probes in, but up to now, particularly in Australia, mainly the the, the information we get is is a pressure. Um, and whilst that's very useful, it it's not um, it, it, it's a it's a very one dimensional view. Um, and so, research into TBI um, is uh, is limited by by all of these factors by um, the complexity of the disease and the and the and the, the, the assumption or, or the the conceptualization of it as as a single entity, um, difficulties with research and and um, problems with <clears throat> getting information about what's what's happening dynamically in the brain as as patients uh, recover from brain injury. Toby, in the presentation that you gave in Nusi, you alluded to the fact that we might need to start looking beyond the traditional RCT. What are some of the reasons for that um, that uh, approach, and and what are you talking about when you when you allude to that? Well, an RCT, uh, a randomised controlled trial, is seen as the gold standard of research in um, in medicine and in in most areas of, of um, medicine, and, and particularly in critical care trials. And there's a there's a good reason for that because it's it's robust and it um, um, and uh, it's you're controlling for many of the confounding factors that can um, influence your results, um, and you can point to the, to, to, the, to that and say, "Look, this is as clean a result as we can get." And particularly with um, the statistical techniques that we that we've used up to now, this is the best method we have for um, uh, proving a particular hypothesis or, or disproving a particular null hypothesis. The problem with RCTs in uh, traumatic brain injury uh, is that um, th there are a number of very significant confounders that um, recruitment to RCTs often don't take into account. So first of all, we have the, the problem we've already talked about that um, traumatic brain injury um, is a is is really a, a um, collection of different injuries. So and, and a brain contusion may behave very differently and respond very differently to a to a candidate treatment, let's say um, a hypertonic saline, um, than a diffuse axonal injury, which is the, which is another type of brain injury, um, but with very different pathophysiological mechanisms at work. Um, and so that that's the first problem with doing RCTs. They tend to be in the quest for very large numbers. You 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 need to have um, large numbers of patients for statistical power. Um, in the quest for that, you tend to just include all patients with with any type of brain injury, and you're really mixing them all up together. In addition, um, the um, there are a number of confounders. Um, brain injury is a kind of sequence of events that you have the primary injury, um, which can vary between different patients, and then you have this this kind of chain of care whereby patients are taken by ambulance to the um, emergency department, to the emergency department, from the emergency department potentially to the operating theatre and then to the ICU. Um, and there are also a number of significant factors that um, can influence the outcome from brain injury that happen at each stage. Um, and say you're, 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 you've got a um, randomised controlled trial in two places, two cities, um, and in one place every brain injured patient gets managed very well before they get to the ICU and they have a good blood pressure and good oxygenation um, and their, their, their brain is otherwise um, well looked after, whereas in the other city um, they're allowed to be hypotensive 
um, hypoxic and and there the, the all these factors which on the surface you don't see they will they will have very uh, profound um, influence on outcome for these different patients and that can uh, confound the results of randomized control trials and so there there's a real push in uh, tbi research to control for these uh, particularly with the impact covariates where you you collect all this data beforehand and then you are able to control for these confounders before um, uh, after the fact um the the, the other um problem with TBI is that it is a problem similar to much of ICU research is that um, you're you're um, attempting to put a single um, single intervention in amongst all this complexity and looking for for a significant result and the last issue is that um, unlike uh, diseases such as um, acute respiratory distress or, or um, cardiac failure where you have a or an outcome that is quite close to um, the acute illness in TBI, your outcome measure most typically is six months after um, the patient has their injury. And in the, that intervening period, there's all, many other confounders that can occur, such as different types of rehabilitation. Um, you know, there's a number of other factors which will cloud your um, cloud your results. So, so RCTs, to date in traumatic brain injury research have been haven't been able to produce they've been able to say things point to things that don't work but they haven't been able to identify a kind of magic bullet and it's becoming um increasingly clear that there probably is there probably isn't a magic bullet for tbi as we currently conceptualize tbi at the moment so what's the alternative approach that you're suggesting we might need to adopt um well, many of the most of the progress we've made in TBI management, um, it's it's kind of generally agreed has um, amongst TBI researchers has come in the form of the use of guidelines. Um, uh, but the guidelines, as you know, referring to the previous question, these guidelines are based on fairly. Um, uh, uh, evidence evidence that isn't strong um and so if you look at the levels of evidence that that they they quote in these guidelines it's kind of level two level three evidence and they're they're making educated guesses as to how best to manage these patients and the other uh, but but um similar to management of sepsis um using a guideline and ensuring that certain aspects of tbi care are um are uh, standardized has led to improvements in outcome um and and the other thing that has been important in informing these guidelines and and um moving forward in terms of our, our, our um, understanding of tbi care is the um advent of big um uh, cohort studies observational cohort studies which um and the best example best recent example is the center tbi study uh, in europe which is um, concluded now, but is continues to produce lots of very interesting work. Um, and they, this is a cohort study that that leveraged that collected data for many different units in Europe, and then leveraged the um, differences in management between these centres um, and used them as surrogate um, 
surrogate intervention. So they they used comparative effectiveness research. So they took all, got all this data and said, okay, in in Belgium they don't do such and such. Um, they, they, for example, don't use hypertonic saline, and they do in Holland. Um, and can we can we look back at the data we've got and see if that translates to a difference in outcome? Um, and they're producing just from the size of the amount of the amount of data that they've collected, they're producing some really interesting uh, insights into TBI care. So to do something like this, do we need to set up these types of registries, or are they? Um, is it possible to do this sort of research on existing data sets? Uh, yes, I'm glad you asked me that question. <laughs> Uh, yes, it's uh, it is possible. There are there are a number of datasets out there, um, and there's the, the kind of sharing of data is is um, pretty um, well established in TBI care. But the the, the point of the presentation in at the CTG um, was to introduce the this idea of precision TBI, which is the Australian version um, of um, centre TBI. Um, which has a similar similar goal in the, in that we uh, are aiming to collect TBI data from multiple sites in um, Australia, um, and then use that data to for, to compare um, how different centres manage TBI and, and see how that translates to different outcomes. So comparative effectiveness research, um, and the benefit of um, doing it in Australia is that we have a relatively consistent approach generally speaking our healthcare systems between the states are relatively similar so you're taking away a lot of those that kind of noise um, and you're able to focus more um, on the um, specific differences in management um, and so you may get a clearer signal um, as to what what aspects of management translate to better outcomes for these patients um, the other point of doing precision tbi is to get a snapshot of how TBI is managed in Australia. To, to date, we we don't know. We have these guidelines. We don't know to what extent different centres adhere to these guidelines, um, and and we would like to collect this data and be able to offer it back to the sites and say this is this is how you these are the types of patients you have. These are the this is how you're managing them, and these are the outcomes you, you you're you're getting and. Then you, and then allow different sites to compare to, to the other sites. Um, and already, you know, in the pre- preliminary stages of setting this up, we're finding out that there are differences in management between um, centres where people have kind of volunteered that, oh, we manage all our TBI patients with propranolol, which um, in, in Western Australia, for example, um, Whereas in Victoria, it's not really it's not really our standard of care. So it's going to be an, it's going to be interesting to to look into. Toby, what are some of the limitations of performing research using this approach? Um, I think um, the the major limitation is that, um, that we are very. Um, I think as a as a as clinicians, we're very conditioned to um, prize r- prospective randomized control trials above all else, and the data that we can get from those, and 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 and, and um, tend to only really um, believe that something is true if it's been shown in a double blind, multi centered, double blind, randomized control trial. 
Um, and so the the concern is that um, you know we'll we'll do this. We'll we'll, we'll go to the, all the effort of collecting this data and, and generating interesting insights, and then people will say, yeah, but um, you, you know we can't action it because it's not a randomized control trial. And I, and I think um, there's a, there is a that's that's a worthwhile point to make. Um, and it kind of goes on to the next. The, the, so, so the, the first stage of precision is that we would um, set up this data collection um, infrastructure, get a number of sites involved. Um, but the, then, looking forward, we would want to maintain that infrastructure um, and then nest um, some prospective studies within that infrastructure. So then, you set up a, a prospective protocol. Um, that all these sites can agree on uh, and then do some prospective research, but have the, the infrastructure to control for all those confounders that we've talked about um, already in place. So you, so you streamline um, uh, the, the, um, the design and implementation of these prospective studies in the future. Tell us a little bit more about Precision TBI. How, where is it in its formation, and uh, how is it being run? Uh, so we are um, currently seeking ethics approval. We're um, uh, we are finalising the budget um, and finalising the um, the payment schedules for um, data collection. So we the plan is to have a tiered payment schedule depending on the um the resolution of data that's collected from each center so you could have a payment for basic admission uh, data um basic daily data and and uh, outcome data and then with increasing complexity um the the, the pay, per payment per patient payment would increase um the the thing that i haven't mentioned in amongst all this is that um the other novel um, and important feature of Precision TBI is that we um, are collecting high-resolution um, data um, from the bedside. So, in um, we're collecting kind of physiological data in terms of blood pressure, uh, ECG, uh, oxygenation, but also uh, high-resolution ICP data and using the ICM Plus. Um, multimodal monitoring software from Cambridge, which allows us to um, utilize um, ICP um, and blood pressure readings to, to generate measures of autoregulation um, and optimum CPP, all of which have not really been widely adopted in Australia. So that's another aspect of the of the um, uh, the 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 kind of suite of things we'll be offering to sites who, who take part. Toby, as I understand it, one of the first uh, questions that you're seeking to answer is the effect of sedation on the outcomes of neurotrauma patients. Can you tell us how you approach this particular question? Um, yes. So um, this is... Uh, this is... Or the majority of patients with moderate to severe TBI um, receive sedation during the course of their stay in ICU, whether it's for um, uh, to keep them ventilated, to keep them intubated, or whether it's to manage raised intracranial pressure. Um, and part of the 
underlying thesis of precision TBI is that we want to identify unanswered questions or only partly answered questions. And so we, we want to um, generate systematic reviews of the literature which, which can um, identify which questions have been answered and which questions haven't. And, and so we started with um, one of the most common questions one of the most common interventions, which is sedation. Um, so we looked into sedation with a with a scoping review to identify what's the quality of the evidence regarding this very fundamental aspect of TBI management. And what we found was that there are no large randomised control trials of sedation in TBI. Um, I think of all the studies we found that none of them were greater than had a, had greater than 100 patients and very few were prospective um so the so it kind of identifies this this un, this um management practice that we have that is not based on evidence at all that it's not not, not um, evidence-based medicine and so we are able, so the, the, having identified that we want to collect data about um the practices used um in um uh, different units in Australia, and um, uh, see we see whether there are any differences in outcome associated with those differences, and it's also an example of a a prospective study nested within Precision because we have um, approval to um, trial the use of ketamine sedation in traumatic brain injury patients, and we would use the Precision TBI infrastructure to collect data for this for this um, pilot feasibility study. Finally, Toby, the um, traditional um, randomised control trial can ultimately take 10 years or even 20, as we heard recently with, uh, with the Sudiku trial, from the first answer, asking of the question right through to publication of the data. How quickly is an approach like this able to generate some of the answers to the questions that we have about management of TBI? Um, hopefully more quickly than 20 years. Um, the, I, I think, um, I think that just highlights another issue with randomised control trials. And I think, um, I think, you know, the, the, we're answering, we're asking slightly different questions. We're asking, you know, what, what's the current state of play, um, and we will be able to answer that question more quickly. Um, but I think we're already kind of looking at other methods. So, so. As you'll know, there's there's other more kind of innovative innovative research methods, um, such as was used in RemapCap, the platform trial using um, uh, innovative statistical techniques to get answers very much more quickly um, with with a, with smaller sample sizes to to research questions. So um, we are trying to design the study in a way where. We, we may be able to employ some of those techniques going forward rather than rely, always relying on the fallback position where you have to do this giant RCT uh, and, and invest a lot of time and money um, and may not get a definitive answer. Toby, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast and sharing some insights into this uh, new approach. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Get access to all our great podcast interviews, as well as hundreds of modules, journal reviews, quizzes and articles by downloading our free app. Search for My Oslo wherever you get your apps or visit our website at oslocommunity.com.